Hey everybody, what's going on? It's your boy Fatal from Fatal Affair. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow us on Spotify, Google, Apple, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening to the show. Hey guys, it's me. Guess what? This is a spoiler. I forgot to say it during the show, so here it is now. Uh, this is a spoiler. I'm gonna spoil all of it. Don't let it be spoiled. Okay? You've been warned. Here we are again in honor of the new episode of the Disney Plus Marvel series, What If. We knew going into this that this would be one of, if not the last performance recorded by Chadwick Boseman, the late and great actor who portrayed the Black Panther, as I'm sure the world is well aware of and never will be forgotten, as a hero for the times and forevermore. I'm Fatal, and this episode is called, What If T'Challa Became a Star-Lord. Let's do this. We have Chadwick Boseman, leading man, playing a parallel Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. This is already such an exciting and contrasting idea to the original. Let's get right into the show. So when the intro happened the first time, I didn't know that this would act as the reoccurring intro for the whole series, which I'm not terribly upset with, and it happens all the time. I mean, you go watch a cartoon, and what's the first thing that you see? Batman the Animated Series comes on, you see the spotlights, you see the criminals on the roof, you know the deal. But I'm not terribly upset with this cartoon intro, and let me tell you why. It's absolutely beautiful, A. B, the Watcher, Jeffrey Wright's voice here, who Jeffrey Wright, by the way, is the Commissioner Gordon in the upcoming feature, The Batman, and soon voicing Batman himself in an audio production, also playing Bernard in Westworld. C, it reminds me of a Saturday morning cartoon, just like I mentioned earlier. Not one with a recognizable theme song, but an intro where we might find kids imitating The Watcher. And that's something, even reading comics, I never thought I'd see. He's like a more believable, or what counts for believable amongst all this, sort of Zordon from Power Rangers. I want to see a, some kids playing in the front yard and somebody goes, I am the Watcher. And he's just going to watch all of his friends beat each other up at Scarlet Witch and uh, Sam Wilson and everybody else. And he's going to be there sipping on a nice tea in the corner. The galaxy to your eyes. A hundred billion points of light. Beautiful. The intro ends and the show opens. I love their use of transitions, something I found myself taking to the recent Suicide Squad movie with seamless transitions. How they put words amongst fire and water and blood. It's awesome. They use the puddle our Star-Lord steps in like a mirror, a portal into a new dimension. Or in this case, timeline. Is your destiny determined by your nature, or by the nature of your world? T'Challa, as we know, is going to be the center point of this episode, and his role as Star-Lord in a parallel timeline. I think the contrast is very clear with this question the Watcher presents when we compare our two Star-Lords now. And as the episode goes on, it'll example itself time and time again. Peter Quill, though good-natured, was still somebody worthy of incarceration. A thief, a smuggler, and I'm sure, at times, a murderer. T'Challa is instantly someone worthy of recognition in the field of kindness. He became worthy of the Black Panther. 
when the familiar scenes from Guardians of the Galaxy play out up until Peter Quill would covet the Infinity Stone of Power, it seems almost beat for beat, a little tighter paced, almost like T'Challa has that less goofy suave, a roguish confidence, not jamming to some kicking tunes on a Walkman, uh, some tunes from the 80s. Instead, the group of men led by Korath, who apprehend Quill, being unaware of the title of Star-Lord, we find that same group of hostile men fully aware of this Star-Lord. Almost like a hero, instantly fanstruck, the men give T'Challa instant jubilation and rush to his presence. Korath stops the men to show more respect than that. Come on, guys. This rendition of this scene was very playful, giving instant exposition on what kind of Star-Lord this is. One who takes from the powerful and gives to the powerless. Korath and T'Challa spar to Korath's excitement, getting to fight with his idol, hinting at his fonder loyalty toward T'Challa. It was a little cartoonish in nature, but it seemed no less out of the realm of, let's say, most battle animes for a brief moment. Dispatching Korath and his men, Star-Lord T'Challa decides to take an unconscious Korath, claiming he's hired worse. A Ravager never flies solo. Even in scenes like this in the live-action Guardians, I always want one person to just try to fire their rifle. It always dumbstruck me why people never fired their weapons while all their friends died around them. Yondu comes in, or his arrow rather, taking out every one of the policing mercenaries. Who's the Sleeping Beauty? So Yondu knows who Sleeping Beauty is, huh? But not Mary Poppins. I don't know, Marvel. T'Challa's good nature is so exuberant, Yandu even sizing up the treasure and agreeing that by T'Challa's words, no treasure is worth as much as the good that can be done with it. I like seeing someone see seeing eye to eye with Yandu. It almost seems like a testament to Quill's nature in contrast. Yandu would have been a good guy just for Quill. But Peter and Yondu both seem so far into the life and stuck in that way. Yondu just more mad at Quill's abandonment, it seems, even being proud of Quill by the end of the first Guardians. T'Challa's nature is a, he's a man of the people, a man worthy of being king. Allows Yondu to be proud of this Star-Lord a little more outwardly. He's not ashamed of this obvious king. That's my boy. It's stunning how what if this episode is compared to Peggy Carter's episode. In all due respect, that was a great episode, but this one seems done right in the first five minutes. There are such crazy differences in this very similar timeline. Even with the Guardians of the Galaxy style flashbacks, this time showing T'Challa having a father versus Peter Quill, where Peter Quill did not for a very long time. And he finally got the father that he wanted, uh, and he was a heartless bastard. T'Challa had a father who was the Black Panther, a superhero. He was a king, and again, a man of the people. The role as king demands being a just ruler, one with a heart, uh, one with compassion, and the will of the warrior. What you call destiny is just an equation, a product of variables. Beautifully spoken by the Watcher, everything he says I find just so poetic and Jeffrey Wright is incredible. I really want to talk about this for a second. This whole variable scenario. The Ravagers arrive to abduct the spawn of Ego, 
Yondu was the one supposed to grab Quill, but because he allowed one of his lackeys to snag Quill, the mix-up happened on an explorative T'Challa to his amusement. This confusion I took a little deeper. As Marvel is always practicing social commentary, when told they got the wrong kid, which I'm guessing was supposed to match a description Yondu was told, the aliens, stupid as they may be, were unbiased. They only see two sea holes, two hear holes, and one eat hole. They were shown a hologram of a little white kid, and who I assume is Taserface, replied, all humans look alike to me. I loved that. Humans tend to look a little closer at our differences and not always uniting as one species. But in the vacuum of space, aliens don't have time for all that. Just the fun that comes with the freedom of the universe. Yondu, instantly charmed by young T'Challa, their back and forth adorable and full of optimism, the colors of the galaxy behind Yondu serving as a backdrop for young T'Challa's choice. Not yet having to accept the role as king, never gave T'Challa the attachment to Wakanda his father had in mind for him. His heartbeat as a heart of an explorer, and thus a new hero was born. Why stop at one world when we can show you all of them? 20 years later, we have a full-grown T'Challa leading a group of Ravagers to a bar for a night on the town, featuring Korath! Korath asking about all the legendary tales that proceed Star-Lord, and going as far to ask, how did Star-Lord stop Thanos from destroying half of existence? And then... Okay, the fuck? Thanos? The Mad Titan himself showed up in casual space garb, like Cosmic Hollister Thanos, kicking it with the Ravagers and even raising the old internet debate of if Thanos was right. The Ravagers shrug it off, and without the horrific act of actually doing it, they can joke about Thanos' genocidal intent. T'Challa approaching the bar where Drax is bartending to support his wife and daughter that would have otherwise been slain by Thanos. Drax thanking T'Challa for saving his wife and daughter from a Kree invasion. Instead, gotta take another photo. Drax looks great, but T'Challa apparently looks terrible. I don't know how the photo could even capture Drax while he's standing so incredibly still. He should be invisible. Hey, Cha-Cha. Nebula looking like retro comic Nebula sporting the full blonde hairdo, and may I say she looks fantastic. Calling Thanos the big guy, not father. Not fully resenting Thanos for destroying half the universe and being terrible to her all of her life. He gets to start making up for that. The Collector saw a power vacuum since Thanos changed ways in debate with T'Challa and became the tyrant of the galaxy. Forcing a classic Guardian Nebula to join the Ravagers, Thanos, and Korath in assisting T'Challa with the fate of feeding the galaxy. Like Ocean's Eleven, T'Challa must get past Approxima Midnight, assuming head of security for the Collector since Thanos isn't an option anymore, leaving Thanos with Korath to perform a distraction. Call me Captain Genocide again, new guy. The distraction drawing the attention of the Black Order away from T'Challa so they may search for the Embers of Genesis. May I present to you, Tanelir Tavan, the Collector. Jesus, they made my dude absolutely Jack Diesel stacked. The physique of Greek myths. Magnificent. Magnificent. If you boys are done gossiping, I brought what you've asked. Subtle details in the animation to express emotion with the Collector's eyes just barely widening. A dog with an astronaut suit. Huh. Howard the Duck making his cameo from Guardians right in the middle of the episode. And as they reintroduce fans to Howard as a love letter, we figure it's our chance to deep dive him on his second first entrance. 
Howard the Duck was created by writer Steve Gerber and penciler Val Mayrick. An Adventure into Fear, number 19, December 1973, as a secondary character in that comic's Man-Thing feature. The character had to start wearing pants as a result of dodging a lawsuit with Disney for resembling the character that they had, Donald Duck. I'll call Howard once by his full name revealed in War of the Realms, and like how Thor is Thor Odinson, Howard is Howard Duck's son. Didn't have a lot to do with comics after potential Disney lawsuits. I mean, the duck literally fell into the Florida Everglades, but he was able to survive through little miniseries and cameos here and there. Changing to Leonard the Duck in a Spider-Man comic and back again for his own miniseries. He's teamed up with Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, Spider-Man, Gwenpool, and even the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. He has mastered a form of martial arts called Quack-Fu. He's piloted the bodysuit the Iron Duck and even learned some spells from Doctor Strange. Howard has shown up in crossover comics once notably to acquire the whereabouts of Jennifer Walters. Disney, since their purchase of Marvel, have embraced the duck with open laughter as he owns his name again and a cameo in the MCU proper. Expanding on what we got from the movie, Howard joins T'Challa as a tour guide around the collector's domain. Take a Louie at the Frost Giants, a hard Ralph at the Cronins. This is like when people say take a Lincoln at the stop sign and a Roosevelt at the light. They mean left and right. He's brilliantly like the Howard we associate from the movie and the comic cameos. Sipping on a martini in a jail cell. He's more animated than most of this, allowing stark contrast to what we know from the MCU. Playing within this art style perfectly. Making a reference to events that would transpire in Thor The Dark World. Even as we know, the Collector made a deal with Asgardians to keep one of the stones safe. It would make sense if Thanos stepped down and the Collector was halfway done collecting all of the stones. I was so happy when T'Challa bust Howard out to help him. When you're out of luck, always go duck. Come on, Howard. Proxima jumps in to stun all of the Ravagers, even a turned good Thanos. Stopping for a martini caught amongst the intruder alarm lockdown, T'Challa and Howard must now make an escape. But happy hour just started. So we swiftly say goodbye to Howard and his expanded cameo. Makes sense that he wouldn't rise to action, but his participation in all of this feels all that much more of an interconnected multiverse. Locked in a spacecraft garage after the lockdown, T'Challa finds a Wakandan spacecraft meant for the retrieval of him after his abduction by the Ravagers. After making this discovery, T'Challa finds himself betrayed by Nebula, interested in settling her debt with the Collector. In a jail cell waiting for judgment, T'Challa confronts Yondu on the lie that his homeland was destroyed and his family killed. Yondu tries to relate to someone he now considers family, like with Rocket Raccoon saying, you're like me. In the case of Star-Lord, it isn't about being scared. It's about being an explorer, leaving behind the prison we call the past. Star-Lord breaking it off with the Ravagers saying, you're not my family. You never were. Korath with the social commentary. Damn, that hurt. Playing on the theatric villain role, the Collector dramatically tries to swade T'Challa into revealing his secrets. Another slammer with the line playing on progress, in which this itself is a testimony to. Where I come from, history has never looked kindly on those who lock men in cages. Deep cut, deep stuff. 
Nebula pulling a Loki and triple crossing the Black Order under the plan from T'Challa, saving Thanos, Korath, and Yondu. With the warning from Nebula, T'Challa was able to think of everyone's roles and emotions as a man of the people, a true intellect on top of being a king. He used Nebula's debt as an opening that seemed so genuine it would get everyone where they needed to be. A master strategist, Cap, would be proud. This next scene was absolutely unbelievable. Using his Wakanda necklace as claws like the Black Panther, T'Challa makes his acrobatic and traversal escape toward Ebony Maw with cat-like grip and reflex. Pouncing toward the Cosmic Wizard only to be stopped by a telekinetic force, Thankfully, what T'Challa said inspired a rise out of the Collector's assistant that was there all along. As we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy, not a rise that causes emotional uproar and physical destruction, but a focus of inspired rebellion. The Collector ambushing T'Challa with the severed arm of a chatty Cronan. I hope that's not Korg. How else would he play Fortnite? This fight had a lot of Easter eggs, from Captain America's shield to Mjolnir to Malekith's dagger to Hell's Helmet, to the Necrosword. I like the fact that they use the term Necrosword at all. With Loki and the Secret Wars staying in the back of our minds, at least my mind, it seems like All Black the Necrosword could be a possibility for a now-turned-hero Loki. Thanos gets a bomb-ass hero line similar to Hulk's line from the first Avengers where he says, That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. This time in reply to Nebula asking if Thanos is crazy, he's not crazy. He's mad. Ooh, okay, Thanos, I see you. Time to fight like an Eternal. Thanos taking on Obsidian Cull and using people as fodder and ammo. This is brutal and heroically dark. I dug this whole fight scene. Thanos taking joy in the fight and spar like he would have fighting Hulk, only to get backstabbed by a sinister Proxima Midnight to the notice of Nebula. A Ravager never flies solo. Yondu's arrow coming in for an absolutely stellar shot of the arrow taking Hell's helmet off of Tavon. Enter Yondu. Ain't no way in hell I was gonna leave here without my kid. Same energy as, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. It makes me cheer at the screen like I was at the movie theaters. I feel like I've said this too many times for one lifetime, but I felt bad for Thanos. The man gets absolutely pummeled by Proxima and Obsidian. I thought Thanos was dead by the last hammer to the back. It was dark, and I was hoping my man would get back up. Never thought I'd say that. And he does with the assistance of his adopted daughter, Nebula. A team-up I never thought I'd even see. That's part of the fun of these stories. We get the father-daughter duo teaming up against enemies with similar builds. Nebula utterly murders Obsidian. R.I.P. Obsidian Cole in an absolutely brutal manner, swallowing some embers of Genesis and being imploded from the inside out. And Obsidian gets taken out in some gnarly ways in the MCU. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but our heroes don't fuck around with this guy. They cut his arm off, they leave him in terrible conditions, they blow him up from the inside out. I'm sorry, Cole. I felt the feelings in my heart and the excitement in my chest when I saw Thanos pick up Nebula to escape for the ship, narrowly making it before the doors close and leaving behind a T'Challa and Yondu. The duo taking on the Collector like Bucky and Steve, if they were to have gotten their asses handed to them. Major Goku and Piccolo energy between our duo as they come up 
with a plan to defeat Tavon like Raditz. How about Sticky Fingers? A familiar tactic we've seen in the Guardians movie. Yondu accepting his role as the glue, heisting Tavon's gauntlet to the containment cell door and giving him a jet-boosted Black Panther-style knee to the face, propelling him into the cell. A swift KO-style move like how T'Challa defeated Killmonger at the end of the Black Panther solo movie. Karina, in charge of the collector's cells, allows every prisoner Tavon collected out to exact revenge in a Marvel zombie foreshadowing sort of way. Our Ravager duo makes way for escape, but is blocked by the embers of Genesis's mass destruction. T'Challa suggests taking to the skies for escape with full success and an eagerly waiting nebula. T'Challa and Yandu reflect on their relationship, T'Challa taking responsibility with a full smile. A man who examples being a great king time and time again. So is the legend of Chadwick Boseman. It was I who told you I wanted to see the world. All you did was show me the universe. These lines were written with so much love on a scale so grand in mind. Constantly making social commentary on black hardships on our planet with that pain in mind. Attempting to make shines at optimism and positivity. On any planet amongst any people, there ain't no place in this galaxy you don't belong. I'm not crying. You're crying. Every time they mention T'Challa's title of Star-Lord in contrast to the proper Guardians of the Galaxies, it's met with sincerity and respect. Calling to that kid within all of us who wanted to play Star Commander at such a young age, T'Challa embodied the same sense of adventure while reaching for new levels of maturity and responsibility, all while having a great and fun-loving attitude. Star-Lord chooses to return to Wakanda with the Guardians of the Galaxy and re-meet his family once again who earnestly awaited his heroic return. Your son is a galactic hero. A Wakandan talking to Thanos about his genocidal plan using the gauntlet. No, no, because it's random. And, I might add, efficient. Oh, Thanos. Nebula and Umbera's daughter, Korath bragging about being T'Challa's friend, and the Ravager who was played by James Gunn's brother, added that the jump point messes with your face. Like how Yondu and Rocket jumped a whole bunch of random times in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Like Paul Rudd from Ant-Man, we find a dancing Peter Quill in front of a returning ego. And with Peter's place in the world not yet found after the passing of his mother, this might tantalize Peter Quill to become the villain and god his father tried to make him into. Too bad this might spell the end of the world. Incredible! Tying up a loose end that would have had all of us wondering and dedicated to our friend, our inspiration, and our hero, Chadwick Boseman. It felt appropriate to end on this no-end credit scene and preserving this episode with a big old bow on Mr. Bozeman's career. He brought a character to life in one swing and rode that momentum to a glorious, open-ended conclusion that I hope stands the test of time for the rest of eternity. Mr. Chadwick Boseman, from all of us in the comic industry, the movie industry, and any heart you've touched inside and outside your roles, you're a real-life superhero. We're forever grateful. Thank you. And thank you for joining me on this episode of The Fatal Foils on the Disney Plus series, What If? And be sure to return each week as we uncover and celebrate the shattering of the single universe and all its possibilities in our new Marvel multiverse. Make sure to follow us on wherever you get your podcasts and always ask the question, What If?